welcome to the Forster's Bondman podcast. I'm Miri Stickland's Knowledge Development Lawyer in the Commercial Real Estate team and I'm joined today by Helen Marsh who's a partner in the residential team and is also our training principal here and Anastasia Piacevic who is currently one of our second year trainees and about to qualify into our litigation team in September. Hello. 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 Thank you for joining me <laughs> so willingly. Um, <laughs> so today we're just going to sort of talk through life as a trainee at Forsters. So Helen, I wondered if we could just start with you. Vicky has covered some of this in our previous podcast about graduate recruitment, but can you just give a sort of quick reminder of how the training contract is structured here yeah. and the number of trainees we have? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> first of all, I'd like to talk about how highly we value the trainees and how it's a big part of our business really so um, we try to give them the best training and and we the aim is to recruit them to work in the firm for a long time so um, we we spend a lot of our time and resources on trainees um, the training contract is slightly unusual in that we have six seats rather than four um, which means of course that our trainees get to have experience a few more departments before they have to make their final decision. Um, we, our number of trainees uh, is about to go up slightly. At the moment we have eight or nine each intake, so in total that gives us about 17, 18 at any one time. And we're looking to increase that to nine or ten each intake, so we go up to 20 just because the firm's growing and we want, to, every department always wants more trainees. And they, trainees perform a, a different role to anyone else really it's not the same as a paralegal um, and so we do really want um, trainees in our department and that's why we're um, growing that and also still putting a lot, a lot of resource in in terms of partner time money spent training uh, all of those investments we're making um, so when trainees join the firm, what sort of support and training are they given, particularly at the start of the training contract, but I suppose also throughout? Um, well, I think, and um, Anastasia can tell me if she agrees later on, but I think our <laughs> trainees are given a lot of support because we want to get the best out of them. Um, so at the beginning, there is a whole uh, formal induction programme that lasts quite, it's quite intense for the first few weeks. And covered in that are the, all the obvious things that you'd expect, like IT training and how the firm works, internal processes, all those admin type things, how, we, how to deal with AML and compliance. And then we also teach quite a lot of um, useful technical skills for being a trainee, so research, library skills, research skills, where all the um, resources are, drafting skills, how to write an effective email, what's expected of trainees in terms of um, conduct around the office, dress code, appropriate behaviour, and then quite a lot of um, pastoral well-being type training, so how to deal with stress, how to deal with, um, how to, how to um, build resilience, um, how to deal with difficult conversations, relationships. Um, so we, we, we have all of that at the beginning and then it's, it's ongoing, so there's constantly um, training events, particularly technical training of course in the departments. Um, and then firm-wide technical training, lots of skills training. We've got a, a, f a fantastic and very much improved recently learning and development department who yeah. are now responsible for trainees and they provide an awful lot of support, both in terms of formal training but also pastoral support. So there's people there who are available a lot for anything that comes up for trainees. And I think 
that it's nice to have them as well as the partners who are kind of the supervisors and mentors because um, they're perhaps um, maybe more approachable sometimes. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a mixture of formal and informal throughout the whole two years. Yeah, I would agree. I think that the new and improved L&D department are really helpful in terms of a more sort of general, if you have a general problem and also because they kind of oversee all of the seat rotations, Mm -hmm. it's, I just feel like they have a kind of general understanding of where you're at in your training contract and, you know, where you want to go. And so I think it's very helpful to be able to approach someone who has that sort of understanding for the whole of the two years. Yeah, and also we've always got, in terms of seat rotations, there's always a slight kind of um, balancing of the business needs against what the trainees individually need in terms of their experience. Yeah. And I would say L&D probably are slightly, they're kind of the advocates for the trainees. They're the ones monitoring and saying, oh, she wants, she's been wanting that for three seats. We've got to let her go there and that kind of thing. Whereas yeah. the rest of the firms will be pushing saying, we need more people in the busy departments. So um, it's great to have that balance. So Stasi, what did you find was sort of the most difficult adjustment uh, to make into life as a trainee? Um, well, I think for me, one of the things I found the hardest is the fact that obviously I've spent my whole life so far in education and everything's very structured. You know, you lo- you're taught something very actively, you then practice it, you're then given a mark, you know exactly how you're doing. And when I started here, it's not really like that. You you are, things are taught to you and things are explained to you, but it's not kind of, you're not having a lesson, some, some things you have to work out yourself. And then equally, whilst you're given feedback and you're given a markup you don't really know how you're doing compared I mean maybe that just indicates I'm a bit of a control freak but I have to no, know how I don't know no, I think that's <laughs> I think that's really common I found because you get in the market is that okay that market yeah, like, does that mean I'm the worst trainer you've ever heard exactly yeah. and and I found that so hard because now I can appreciate that I can see associates and they get their work marked up and I always think god it's such a relief that <laughs> the stuff you do has changed as well but at the time I just thought am I an idiot is this normal and I found that really really hard and, and just the unknown in general not really knowing how long things were supposed to take I had a real with the time recording obviously you have to record all your time and I found that very hard thinking should that research have taken me five hours is that normal um yeah I suppose I mean there's no that I found it really helpful sometimes when you're given tasks and people especially research and people say look at this for a couple of hours and then come and chat to me or like this should only take this long because then you you can sort of begin to build up a picture of what is meant to take how long but up until that point you sort of end up sitting at your computer for hours and hours and hours not having found an answer to a piece of research but not knowing whether or not you can kind of call it a day and I don't know but that's actually you kind of need spare I mean with the research piece you're only being asked to do the research because there isn't an obvious answer exactly so you've always got to kind of bear that in mind and think you know potentially there is no answer to this question or there's no you know black and white answer it's all sort of shades of grey exactly and sort of having the confidence to say I've looked at this for this amount of time I'm probably not missing something really really obvious that would come up immediately so I can probably go back and for and now I feel a lot more comfortable you know obviously saying this is what I found and asking follow-up questions because I think a lot of the time when people give you work they don't necessarily know especially research exactly what they're asking for Mm. and if you come back with something they can then say oh that's made me think maybe you can look into this yeah yeah um but that was at the start something I definitely found found hard um and so what would a kind of typical day look like I suppose it'll depend which department you're in 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds quite cliche to be like, every day is different, but I think, (laughs) especially as a trainee, you have to sort of realise that your day isn't really your own in the the same way as when you're perhaps more, or or even when you're an associate, but, you know, I I quite like getting in slightly earlier, because I'm much more productive in the morning, but also I can then feel relaxed that I've done a couple of things on my list so that I'm sort of prepared for if I need to go to a meeting or if I need to do a bit of work that's really urgent, that's not going to send me into sort of panic that I'm not going to get anything done. Um, but I think it's really good actually not not always being able to plan your day and I think you learn to be a lot more flexible and mm. kind of not panic if something random crops up. So um, yeah, I mean it completely varies on departments. Some departments you're doing loads and loads of little tasks like construction it's a lot of constant emails that you're sending in now and then at the moment in litigation I'm just doing this huge sort of document review that I'm spending maybe a whole day doing so it's complete variety of what you can slot in where and it's nice because you always know different types of tasks I know kind of I can do better in the morning or the afternoon if I have to write something I'll try and do it in the morning because I can concentrate a lot better and I like to do like a big task all in one go and then sort of more bitty things in the afternoon. It's good to be aware of when your kind of peak times for work are Mm. as well, isn't it? It takes a while, I think, to work that out. Yeah, afternoon time is not a proofreading time for me. Afternoon time is (laughs) snack machine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I mean, we've we've touched on, um, you know, feedback and um, it's sort of talking about um, whether you, you feel like you're meeting the required standards, but... How can trainees keep a check on that sort of thing, Helen? Well, we have lots of um, formal points of formal appraisal and review. And then we have lots of points of less formal appraisal and review. And the ideal that we hope we're doing across the board is providing feedback on an ongoing basis. So, I mean, the rule we have, and I I don't think it's unique to Forsters, it should be a rule everywhere, that nothing in an appraisal should be news to anyone. Yeah. Um, and appraisal should be more about like working on like development things and you know discussing what to do next rather than delivering any news to anyone. Uh, so we have we have formal reviews at the end of each seat. We've got mid seat reviews just to kind of check that things are going in the way they should be. Um, and then um, I like to think that anything that comes up which is an issue is talked about straight away. And I suppose um, what's probably difficult is if you do a piece of work. And we, the the qualified lawyers, mark it up, send it back, say do this now, and we probably don't remember or have time to say that was good, that wasn't so good. Um, and partly, I think you know everyone just has to toughen up and expect that we're we're not here to get grades the t- whole time. But I also think we could probably improve on a little bit more pastoral. That was really good. You're doing that's exactly how we want it and oh don't worry about that everyone makes that mistake it's just all part of learning and I think we are getting better at that and I think sometimes it's knowing whether when a document's been marked up whether that markup is kind of a crucial one or whether it's more just sort of stylistically you might sort of change it because that's not the way that you I know well that used to drive me mad when I was a trainee that um people would rip your emails apart just because that's not how they would have written it and I remember this one um woman who was quite newly qualified solicitor herself and I think that often means that they they you know the more junior I found the more likely they were to like rewrite your emails and she <laughs> she rewrote it all and this ridiculous markup and I kept it just for my own amusement because it was so pointless and then I so and then I put in all the changes she asked for and then I gave it back to her and she ripped it apart again 
and then she put a lot of them back to how they were originally and I never said anything but I felt slightly smug (laughs) (laughs) so what kind of skills do you think you've developed throughout your training contracts Darcy well I think that like I said in terms of being able to manage my time I'm a lot more adaptable and and kind of able to be flexible if, if someone gives me something I think that I am despite still panicking sometimes I am better at dealing with sort of stressful situations that aren't necessarily within your control and just understanding that I think I'm probably always going to be the person who has the moment of wild panic but then being like I know that I can tackle this and there are so many people around me that I can ask for help etc etc um I think this isn't so much a skill but I when I first started my training contract dreaded speaking to people on the phone it was my I had a complete mental block about it so I'm quite pleased because now I actually really like it and it's so much quicker and more efficient often to pick up the phone and I just feel so much more confident I think I was just very worried about being asked something I didn't know whereas I think that is a skill though like, there's an art to sort of having a telephone conversation um, yeah so yeah it's something and it is something you know we are more reliant on email than maybe we should be and sometimes emails can be kind of taken in the wrong way like your tone's not quite right yeah. whereas if you actually have pick up and have a conversation with somebody Definitely. quite you often can, and you get, can build rapport yeah exactly and I also think a lot of that's to do with confidence yeah because 100%. you don't after a while you stop having this fear that you're going to get caught out not knowing something you ought to know because you realize you know just the right amount and there might be plenty of things you don't know but that doesn't mean that you failed in some way yeah and also the fact that you can say to someone if they ask you something you don't know about can I come back to you or can I ask somewhere else which I think I would have seen as not possible initially but I think also in terms of at the moment I'm calling lots and lots of people chasing them and they just completely ignore emails but when you Mm. give them a call Mm. and like you say you can kind of build up a rapport and I Mm. think maybe they feel a little bit more inclined to do what you're asking them to do when they hear you speaking to them and I suppose also in terms of what we were saying earlier kind of asking follow-up questions on research and stuff like that I think I'm a lot better now when I'm given instructions about knowing what I need to ask to sort of get the outcome or you know be able to do the work in the correct way whereas to start with when you're given work you just don't you don't even know what you're what you need to be asking so I think that is something that you develop. So Stasi's coming up to qualification, but what is the process for for qualification, Helen? Uh, Well, the process is that throughout the training contract, people are having chats about where they think they might like to go, but obviously nobody's pushed to commit to anything until as late as possible so that there's time to experience different things and to um, have exposure to different things and people. So we, around um, March time, the departments themselves decide how many vacancies they've got and we publish that list for the trainees and then they have a few weeks to decide which ones they think they're going to apply to. They do a formal application saying why they want to go and they can apply to more than one department. Then those departments hold interviews and also a piece of written work is produced, um, a a case study in in conjunction with an interview and there's also an interview with HR um, and that all takes place within the course of a few weeks. And at the end of that, the um, the jobs are announced, so who being offered which jobs. Yeah. And then sometimes people might get offered more than one job, in which case there's a period of time for them to s- decide which they want to accept. Okay. And we try and make it as 
painless as possible, but we accept that it's an, it's a nerve-wracking time for the trainees. Um, so that's why we, we do it as early as possible yeah. and as quickly as possible because it's not nice. And the, I, we appreciate that it's very terrifying to be waiting to know... Um, Awaiting your fate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And this year, delightfully, we everyone got the jobs they wanted. Um, so if you can cast your mind back quite far for me and, for, <laughs> and probably for you as well, Helen, mm. um, what bit of advice would you give yourself if you could go back to the start of your training contract? Do you want to start? Well, I was thinking about this, actually. And in fact, mine is a piece of advice that I was given by, um, by the partner that I, that I sat with in my first seat. And he said, just make sure that you make friends with everybody and treat everybody in the firm equally and I mm. thought that was a really good piece of advice because I think sometimes you can kind of get a little bit um sort of you can overhype yourself thinking oh, I'm going into you know the legal profession and aren't I amazing and actually you know everybody in the firm has a function and everybody can help you out mm. and you can help everybody else out so I think yeah that was a good piece of advice that mm. I always tried to sort of stick mm. by Mm-hmm. Um, but we were, I mean, Stasi and I were talking earlier before we came on air. Um, <laughs> in, the, was, in the green room. Yeah, in the green room. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was, I was saying, you know, the other thing is, um, I think to, to kind of not be afraid to say when you don't understand something mm-hmm. or when you don't know the answer. Like I think as you get more years qualification, it becomes more, almost more acceptable mm. to acknowledge yeah. where the holes yeah. in your knowledge are. Mm. Whereas at the start, I think, you know, it's that sort of self-preservation. Yeah. Terrified of getting found out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so many of us have. And, and, and ties in with confidence. Mm. Yeah. Um, so they would be my top tips. Okay. Well... Uh, I've got a genuine one. I've got the top tips I was given at the beginning of my training contract, which were entirely uninspiring, and I remember them. I remember them with horror because I went on my first day, and this was our tips from the the head of training. I was like, "Oh my goodness me, is that what you've got to say to us on our first day?" <laughs> and her tips were: be careful with spell checker because sometimes it changes the words to like the wrong words. <laughs> <laughs> always have £10 with you because if you go in a taxi you'll be expected to pay for it and if you do go in the taxi make sure you always go in the drop down seat because you'll be expected to go in that we one. still call them the trainees really? yeah <laughs> so yeah and I remember thinking wow is that what you've got to say to us at the start of our career <laughs> so my learning point for my tra- and I think probably I didn't do this because of that bad start and I basically I didn't really I didn't thrive as a trainee actually I'm quite grateful that I didn't give it up entirely but I think my learning point and I think I, I wish I could go back and do it again is just to give it a bit more and get get more involved engage with it don't sit on the edge and wait for things to happen and I think I was a bit shy joining all these different departments and everyone seemed terribly important and busy and clever and doing all this stuff that I didn't even understand what they were doing and I think I sat back and waited for them to include me and didn't want to bother them. Yeah. And now I realise now what we want from trainees for them to be enthusiastic and, and to bother us. Yeah. And say, what are you working on? Can I help with that? Oh, you know that work I did for you. Was it any good? Do you want me to do any more on that? Keep giving more and making yourself obvious rather than trying to stay out of the way, which is what I did. It's time to stay out of trouble. Um, partly because I, where I worked was a long hours culture and I really 
was appalled by that, and so I spent the whole time trying to avoid having to do an all-nighter. And, <laughs> and now looking back, I think, oh, goodness me, why not just do an all-nighter? Like, how bad can it really be? So, um, yeah. But, and that doesn't apply here, because Forster isn't that kind of firm. But I, I would say, just give, give it your all, and you'll, you'll get more out of it. Starzy, you're not having to think back quite as no, far to your memories. <laughs> These are both things that probably I could still think about a little bit more. But I suppose, firstly, um, would be kind of trust your instincts slightly more. And this goes back to all the things I've been saying before about, like, how long is stuff going to take, blah, blah, blah. You just have to think if something or, or like have I this maybe this is a really silly question it should be really obvious like if it doesn't seem obvious it probably isn't obvious and just have the confidence to try and find out more about it and I guess that's the same with asking questions and then secondly this isn't this is a more general point but getting things wrong doesn't necessarily mean that, that you know you're a total failure and everything gets things wrong and I think the more time that I spent here, you realise that, like you say, you know, even the most senior people don't know things. And I think that's one of the things I really like about being in an open plan environment mm. is that you hear people asking each other questions and yeah. saying, have you ever done this before, etc., yeah. etc. Et and you realise that maybe it's completely normal, actually, when I get given a bit of work and I have to go and ask people mm. questions because I haven't done it before. So I suppose it's just recognising that everything, when you're a trainee, every single thing you do is new and it's just going to be important. Why would you know? Or, you know, why would you get it right? You just, as long as you're being sensible and kind of approaching it in a, in a logical way, in a way that you think is correct, you can't really be going wrong, too far too wrong. Far and, and no one's yeah. going to be annoyed with you if, yeah. you've, if you've got the wrong end of the stick because yeah. you've tried. Yeah, exactly. I think that's very good advice. Well, thank you both so much for joining me today. Um, if listeners want to find out a bit more about Forsters, you can head over to our website, forsters.co.uk, or you can follow us on all the usual social media channels. I would never get all of these right. It's LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, and you can subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud or your other usual podcast providers. And until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.